don't know about you, but uh, as I wandered here this morning, uh, I didn't feel like I was in any great spiritual danger. Uh, in fact, just generally, you know, as I kind of move in and around Shell Harbour, I don't kind of feel threatened by, by any kind of great spiritual danger. But after a reading like that, it sounds like John was very concerned. And perhaps for myself, and you might be a bit like me, perhaps the danger is to be blind to the danger, uh, to overlook the danger, or to think that somehow I might be immune to the danger that John's talking about here. Um, after all, the, you know, the boxer that uh, lets his guard down usually gets hit the hardest. Now, as with the previous weeks, as we've been tracking through 1 John, his tone, John's tone, is a mixture of personal warmth and yet urgent warning. His language is at times extreme to try and jolt his readers to take notice, be alert, understand the dangers they're facing and take whatever action is necessary to remain faithful to Christ. Well, before we look at this passage, let's ask God to help us pay attention and understand his word now. Will you pray with me? Loving Father, thank you for your word. Please help me to explain it in an interesting and helpful way and help us all to respond to you with ever-growing confidence in your truth, obedience to your commands, and awareness of deceptive errors that could trip us up or damage our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, keep your Bibles open because we'll be following it through pretty closely. You can see right from the get-go, we see that mix of warmth and urgency. Dear children, he says, this is the last hour. The last hour. Uh, There's lots of time markers in the Bible, but this is an unusual one. 700 years earlier in the time of the exile, prophets like Isaiah and Joel and and Micah that we looked at uh, earlier in the year spoke about a a period of time after the promised Messiah had come, but before the final judgment of God. And they called it, they referred to it as the last days. And most of the New Testament writers picked up that phrase, the last days. So, for example, Hebrews begins like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In Acts chapter 2, Peter's explaining this commotion that's going on uh, by quoting the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Uh, If you had a look at Matthew chapter 4, Jesus himself uses similar language but referred to his second coming as the end of that age. So the the last days then, if if we're kind of to sum it up, the last days is is after Jesus has come and after God's Holy Spirit has been poured out on all the believers but before Jesus returns a second time to judge the world. That's actually right now, isn't it? I mean, we actually fall within those parameters. Uh, so this is really for us. What we're reading here is really for us today. So when John says this is the last hour, it's like getting the bell on the final lap of a track race. 
It's like the teacher in the exam. You have 15 minutes remaining. Well, God doesn't say we've got 15 minutes remaining. Okay, I'll just illustration, illustration. Um, it's like neon lights to the alert believer. Be ready. Jesus will return soon. And if we jump down to verse 28, right at the end of what was read today, we can see that that's exactly what John has in mind. Verse 28, And now, dear children, he says, continue in him, that's Jesus, continue in Jesus so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So he wants to give his readers a loving shake, a wake up, be alert, watch, be ready. Not just because of the joyful anticipation of seeing Jesus soon, but there's a negative side, a sinister side. Look at the threat in verse 18. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. For some of my childhood, I was in a church that focused, well, perhaps a bit too much on the end times and, and working out you know, exactly when Jesus was going to come back and all that sort of thing and who the Antichrist was and pointing the finger at various world figures. Um, so I was quite surprised in, in preparing for today's message that there are only four references to Antichrist in the whole Bible. Three of them in today's passage. And the fourth one is in the second letter of John, verse 7. So let's have a look. John warns that an evil, influential individual will come before Christ returns. John calls him the Antichrist in verse 18. And it probably is the same figure that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians 2, a man of lawlessness is what Paul calls him. But here John also recognises that many such individuals have actually already come. They're already active in the world. These antichrists. So who are they? Well, verse 19 says, they went out from among us. In other words, they, these are people who have walked away from the apostles' teaching about God. Then down in verse 22, they deny that Jesus is the Christ. And they deny the Father and the Son. And verse 26 they try to lead believers astray. And lastly, over in 2 John, there's only one chapter, verse 7 says, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. And has, he goes on to talk about it. He talks about people who, who began with the teaching of the apostles but have gone beyond that teaching. Let me try to put it together for us. These are, are religious sounding people who may talk about Jesus, may talk about God, but deny the central truths of the gospel. And from my own experience, most of the time, it comes down to who Jesus is and how we 
are made right with God, how we're saved. Friends, these are big issues because the stakes are so high. The stakes are eternal. The Apostle Paul, when he left Ephesus, he'd spent a lot of time in Ephesus teaching the people the foundational truths of the Christian faith. And when he left for the last time, there were tears, they were embracing, they were praying for one another. And Paul made a farewell speech to the church leaders. What do you think was uppermost in his mind as he left? Acts chapter 20 verse 29 says this, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert. And that's exactly what happened. This letter we're looking at, 1 John, is about 40 to 50 years after Acts chapter 20. And one of the problems in John's day was that exactly what Paul described. People had risen up like that. People were coming around and saying they had special knowledge about God. Or even a special revelation from God directly. True spiritual truth that that somehow filled out or completed the inadequate picture that the apostles had given them. If you've read any church history, you'll know that John was combating the forerunners of of a heresy that later became known as Gnosticism. The Greek word gnosis means knowledge. And these people claim to have true knowledge about God, complete knowledge about God. Sometimes even secret knowledge about God. You just want to find out, don't you? And they shared it to try and lure believers away. Friends, can I just say, there are many of these same kinds of people right here in Shell Harbour in 2018. During the Jesus is Mission Week, I've got my shirt on for... For warmth today, more than anything else. Uh, During that mission week, I had several conversations with people about, well, who Jesus is, funnily enough. Uh, But by far the longest conversation I had was with a local pastor. And I share it with you to warn you. He was from the local Jehovah's Witnesses. Many of us have had the knock on the door. That's what they do. They smile and they talk about Jesus and God and, of course, Jehovah. And on this occasion, on this occasion, instead of launching straight into kind of defense mode, you know, 10 ways to, you know, respond to Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, all these kind of things. And there's books written like that and they're helpful books. I, I, I kind of had a bit of time. I invited him to share what he believes because I thought, I've read it in books, and you can look it up on YouTube. Thought this guy's a local pastor from the JWs. I want to hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Over the next ten minutes, I was told that Jesus is not God; that the Holy Spirit is just a force, not a person. And in a number of anecdotes and stories and illustrations, he kept on referring to his own obedience 
to be sure that he was saved. And I pushed back on him on this point. I asked some more questions, trying to dig a bit. But he would not separate doing good deeds, especially witnessing, from salvation. Friends, that is not the gospel handed down to us by the apostles. That is not the teaching of the Bible. Good deeds are... They're good deeds. (laughs) Sharing the gospel is good too, if it is the gospel that you're sharing... But it doesn't get us into God's good books. The JWs are one form of antichrist in our local area. And there are numerous others that are trying to lead people astray. Actively, actively trying to lead people astray. In my head, I always think Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You know what? If I'd read it, I could have looked right here in this passage, verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Salvation is at stake, friends. Truth matters. Words matter. Meanings matter. Get Jesus wrong and we completely miss out on God and all that he has promised. And you can see that in verse 25. This is what he has promised, eternal life. Now, friends, as Christians in a country that is departing steadily from anything Christian. We just want friends, don't we? And when someone starts talking about God and Jesus, it's so easy just to let the guard down and relax. And <sighs> yeah, We can have fellowship. Be careful. Be careful. The more I looked into... Uh, in fact, if you just do a search for false teaching, deception, you know, words like that, in a Bible search, the number of times that theme comes up right across the New Testament is phenomenal. Friends, we need to be alert. So who's in danger from people like the JWs or or other false teachers in our local area or on the internet? There's more and more there. I'll tell you, it's the person who lacks the two things John says will protect you. What are they? Glad you asked. (laughs) The two things that will protect you, and they're right here in this passage, are these. Number one, a growing awareness of and cooperation with the Spirit of God who lives in the believer. And secondly, a growing knowledge of the Word of God. That'll help you recognize truth and spot the lies. John says in verse 20, you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. So what's the anointing from God? Well, in the Old Testament, the anointing meant being chosen by God and equipped by God's Spirit for service. So, for example, uh, one of the classic examples, 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13 
the anointing of David. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Isaiah 61, wonderful prophecy about the Lord Jesus. It says this, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. Now, after Jesus ascended back to heaven, though, there's a radical change because he sends his spirit to dwell, to live, to inhabit the heart of every believer. Uh, So you remember that bit I read from Acts 2 just a moment ago. Peter quotes the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. All who put their trust in Christ. That's why in verse 20 in our passage, John says, You have, present tense, you have the Holy Spirit with you now. Now we need to remember that he's speaking to believers here. Dear children, these are children of God. The Spirit of God lives in the children of God. So I, can, I, I need to say, if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus, then you do not have God's Spirit living in you. God's Spirit may be speaking to you, challenging you, helping you understand the truth about Jesus, but until you surrender your heart to him, putting your trust in him for your sins forgiven and your eternal salvation, the Spirit of God does not yet live in you. It's important to realise that. Uh, So what does the Holy Spirit do in the life of the believer then? Verse 27, the anointing remains with the believer. He guarantees that we belong to God. I love how Paul puts it over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 21 puts it this way. It's up on the screen. If you can read that. Sorry about that. Uh, Got a bit creative. Um, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Friends, we could just read that over and over and let that sink in and we'd all go home nourished by his word. That's wonderful, wonderful words right there. But that's not all. Verse 27 also tells us that the anointing, the Holy Spirit, teaches us the truth about God. Isn't that exactly what Jesus taught In John 16, when he said he'd send the Holy Spirit, he said, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Praise God that he has not left us to ourselves, to our own devices, to our own clever thinking. He has given us his Holy Spirit to teach us the truth, to counsel us in his ways, to comfort us in the promises of God and to confirm in our hearts that we belong to God. It's a wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And we cannot separate the Spirit of God from the truth of God. The Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. In fact, His primary role in our lives is to help us understand the Word of God and apply the Word of God to our daily lives. That's why John says in verse 24... 
As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. Heard from the beginning. It means the Old Testament together with the teaching of the eyewitness apostles, what we now call the New Testament. Stay with that. Nothing more, nothing less. John knows they know the truth because he taught them the truth and he desperately wants them to remain in it. It's like saying you've got the Spirit of God and you've got the Word of God. What more do you need? So stand firm. Remain in the truth. Remain in Christ. What does that mean to remain in Christ? As we heard that read out today, the word remain pops up about five or six times in this one little passage. What does it mean to remain in Christ? Well, Jesus talked about it a lot in John chapter 15. In that whole section where he's also talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he used the image of a fruitful vine where he is the vine. He says, I am the vine. We are the branches and God the Father is the gardener, pruning, cultivating, cutting. Let me summarize what that whole chapter says. We haven't got time to go through it. Let me just give you it in point form. Uh, To remain in Christ means this. It means to know Jesus. To trust Jesus. To delight in Jesus. To obey Jesus. And to glorify God through faithfully serving Jesus. Those five things. If you didn't get them all down, just ask me later. (laughs) A true believer will never be cut off or fall away because God's Spirit remains in them. And because God's Spirit remains in them, they remain in Christ. It's a wonderful picture. It's a wonderful picture. But there could be some people here today, perhaps others that you know, that are in danger of being a verse 19 casualty. Verse 19 says, they went out from us. Verse 24 used that little word, if you remain. What's that about? They went out from us, verse 19 says, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us I want to say this friends beware of loving the church community but not loving Jesus without personal trust in Jesus Christ God's spirit does not dwell in your heart and you are not yet saved for eternity Beware also of a a superficial, loveless association with Jesus and the church because that's the sort of person who's in danger of falling away or being led astray by false ideas. But friends, that will not happen for anyone who has 
the Spirit of God living in their hearts has the Word of God in their hand. Well, not just in their hand, in their head. That's another H word. All works. Let me close with John's call to us in verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Amen.